board game, and I'm sure most of you have as well. It's called Sorry. You guys played Sorry, the board game? Sorry is this game where each player is given a destination, and everyone actually follows the same destination or the same path to that destination. So that means you often land on the same spot that someone else is already occupying. And when you do, what do you do? Yeah, sorry, and they they go back to the very beginning of the game, and uh, you know, so that's that's how the game is played. It's a game to jack the other person, pretty much. And uh, when you land on their spot, sorry, they're back at the beginning. Which, if you think about it, I was thinking about most board games. That's what the point of the game is to just jack the other person, pretty much. And so, uh, Monopoly, you get excited when they land and they owe you a million dollars, you know. But with the game, sorry, you know. It's very similar in the way that we do relationships. When we, in, in life, we set out to a certain goal, we're, we're heading after certain things, certain people get in our way, and we think we can simply say, sorry, and move on. You know, just sweep it under the rug. Um, and that's, that is fine in a board game where the damage isn't real, but in, in real life, sorry doesn't cut it, does it? You can't just hurt others or them hurt you and then, you know, a sorry, a, a simple sorry, take it all away. And so what we're doing this morning is we're going to look at that whole idea as we continue on in this series on how to bounce back from anything. And the idea here is that Jesus wants us to bounce back in life. He doesn't want us just to, to fall apart, but he wants us to, and not even just recover, he wants us to, to live lives that, that just bless us going on into the future. And some of the different words we've looked at, we've looked at the word re- resurrection. All these words have this prefix re, which means to go back. So the resurrection, Jesus went back. He dealt with our common history of, of being sinful people. He dealt with that through his resurrection, gave us power to overcome that. Second, we looked at the word repentance, which means to go back and admit the truth about ourselves. And it's the bottom. When we hit the bottom and we hit the, tr- when we come to the bottom and hit the truth, we can actually make progress in life. Many people never really hit the bottom. They never really admit that they need God's help or that they have anything in their life that needs changing. And so they continue to fall. We also looked at the word uh, to be reborn and the idea of the new birth, the new life inside when the Holy Spirit comes in to our lives. And that's the evidence of, of the new life. Last week we looked at the idea of being redeemed, which is being bought back from our past. And... So today we want to look at a new word. The word is reconcile. And you, you can follow along if you'd like. We have this in your bulletin, this listening guide. To reconcile means this, to go back and to bring together. What needs to be put together is the relationships. Because when we fall, every time there's a downturn in our life, we usually pull others down with us. And so when, when we do go down, others end up getting damaged and hurt. And Jesus actually wants us to repair the damage that is caused when we fall. He wants us to recognize that we don't just bounce back alone in life. We actually need other people to go with us in this journey. There's relationships we have. And the truth is we can't just move on when there is real damage in relationships. We can't ignore the damage. Because every wrong that we've ever done has a voice attached to it that's crying out for justice. And we see this in the Scripture that when people do wrong, God brings it to mind. He brings it to their attention. And He does this in our own life still. When we do wrong, we violate and we hurt someone, God reminds us. We can't seem to... It, it doesn't go away. We can't sleep it off. We recognize 
there is some offenses that I might be harboring. <clears throat> and it continues to plague us. And so God, He receives this cry for justice. He reminds us of it. Look at Genesis 4.10. One example, in the very beginning of the Bible practically, Genesis 4.10, when Cain, Cain and Abel, first sons, or the sons of Adam and Eve, when Cain killed his brother Abel, the Lord said to Cain, Why, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You think you silenced your brother's blood and no one saw your sin? But the sin itself cries out to me for justice. See, it didn't escape God's notice. Every time we wrong someone, the Lord is aware of it. And He, he reminds us, He brings this back up to us. Those cries for justice reaches Him. In the book of James, there's another verse. These wealthy landowners in James are called out. They weren't paying the people who worked for them. And look at what they're... It says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Now, in this case, money is actually crying out to God. Money is that deserves to go someplace is crying out to God. And then the landowners are reminded of this. You owe someone. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So in addition to the screams of justice, people are also praying when they're wronged. And God hears those prayers. People pray for justice, asking God, God, would you, would you see to it that right is brought here? Or that, that, that I'd be taken care of? And when God hears these prayers, again, he, he, He's listening. He reminds us of the fact when we damage others and we do nothing about it. Again, we can't just move on because the voices of the past... They keep connecting us to those events that require reconciliation. This word that we're looking at today. We need reconciliation for all sorts of reasons, interactions. We might be harsh with people. We might be selfish with people. We might be angry with others. We may be giving people the silent treatment. It might be that we, we just flat out use hurtful words. And all of these different kinds of offenses... God wants us to, to reconcile. And I wish it were easy, but it's not. <laughs> Reconciliation is one of the most difficult things to do. But you see it in the Scripture. Throughout the Scripture, this whole idea just it, it, it kind of screams at us. We can't ignore it. If it were, <clears throat> if it were easy, then I think you know, we, we, would, um, you know, we, we would probably have much healthier lives because the need for reconciliation and the damage that's caused from broken relationships affects our whole body. Like we experience, we feel broken down emotionally, spiritually. There's just a lot of impacts that broken relationships cause. Reconciliation is not like the Quicken. Quicken is this personal finance software where it's supposed to be, you know, one minute you can reconcile your finances, your personal finances, and, you know, you log on, you click a little button, and up pops a record of all your transactions since the last time you reconciled. And if there's any discrepancies between the records and what your bank says, you know, then there would be, it's going to show up there. But most of the time, supposedly, it's just supposed to be a zero. If it is a zero, there's no discrepancies, then you've reconciled it, you're done, one minute, nice and easy. But in real life, you know, it's, there's no button to just fix this relationship today. And then it just go away. I mean, it, it, it requires a great deal of, of focused 
uh, work. And so I want to look at that. The problem with reconciling is that most of us don't agree with who was wrong in the situation. Anytime there's a rough interaction, we tend to we tend to look at the wrong that they did, and we know we've done wrong too, but we kind of you know, we kind of calculate how much wrong we've done in comparison to what they've done. Well, she did this and this and this, so that's like 70% of the problem. And I only did this and this, so that's 30%. Or, you know, they did 90% of the problem and I did just 10. And so when she or he takes responsibility for his 90, then I'll work on my 10. And we tend to think along those lines. And what it does is it makes for really sorry apologies, doesn't it? When we start thinking about the calculations, we, our apologies are pretty poor. And so what Jesus did is He gave us a very practical, step-by-step checklist on how to reconcile. How do I work through and reconcile my relationships? And He communicated those steps in a, in a passage in Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew 5, Jesus is giving what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he, He's up on a mountainside. People are listening to this. People come and they listen to him speaking. People were following him around because they want to know what he had to say. And he starts talking about some very, very important matters. And he brings up the idea of the Old Testament laws. I want to read you a verse. And he starts talking about laws like murder and adultery and keeping oaths. And there was a bunch of people that traveled there that really felt like they were not guilty. That they had kept the laws. And so Jesus starts addressing some of the laws that these righteous and self-righteous people had. And look at Matthew, Matthew 5, 17. Says, Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. He's saying, I haven't come to do away with the Old Testament, what was written in it, or what the prophets spoke. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He's about to go into a bunch of laws and describe the importance of some of, some of these laws we know from the Ten Commandments. But then there's some other things he brings up from the Old Testament. And one specific law that he focused on, the first one he focused on, was related to murder. And I want to look at this because what he says about the law sets the framework for how we're to reconcile it. It puts things into context for us. So look at Matthew 5.21. He says, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. That's like from the Ten Commandments, right? They, they knew about this. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, which the idea here means to remain angry. You're, you're, you're hanging on to some stuff. With his brother will be subject to judgment. So he takes it further. He says, you know, you've heard about murder. And everyone's like, yep, haven't done that. But he says... But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which is, there's no English equivalent, but it kind of means blockhead or idiot, worthless person. Like, it just, it's a major insult towards someone. is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, again, it's slandering someone, calling them stupid, godless, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So he's saying, he, what he's trying to do is he's trying to cut to the heart of the issue here. Because there were people there that, that were like, I'm, I'm right. I'm, I have kept that law. I haven't slit anybody's throat. 
I have not stabbed anybody, pushed anybody off a cliff. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but the heart of that issue, let me get to the heart of it, the core issue here, because he's, Jesus is bringing up the fact that emotionally we can murder, we can destroy, can't we? He's saying it's a bigger issue than just have I, have I blown past this, this boundary that we, that we think, okay, we're, we're safe. It's bigger than that. And so he brings up these other issues. And with the backdrop of murder, which we know as one of the most serious crimes, he then lays out the need and the steps for reconciliation. It's interesting. Because I think we all know we've, we've been angry. We've said some pretty horrible things or we've slandered. And Jesus is equating that to murder, isn't he? He's saying this is a serious issue. And in light of all that, then he says... We need reconciliation. Verse 23 and 24, key verses for us. It says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. See, he's, he's taking another step back now, and he's addressing a larger issue. Because since everyone is guilty of emotionally destroying people, we all need to know how to reconcile those relationships. He's assuming that everybody there could fit into that category of being guilty. Nobody was really keeping that law in full. So then he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. He lays out these step-by-step reconciliation plan. You know, Here's the first step. It's your initiative. It's, it is your initiative, not the other person's, to get things straightened out. We often start from the position that the break in the relationship was not our fault. It was theirs. We're not responsible. It was their fault. They started it. They ended it. Or they, they did the worst in the, in the situation. The problem is, that other person probably feels the same way you do. So Jesus gives us this, he gives us a first step that has nothing to do with whose fault was it. it has nothing to do with who was at fault. The question is, is there a voice in your head reminding you of a relational problem? Of a break? And he paints this picture. He says, you're standing in line at the temple to bring your tithe to God. You're there to... But then you hear this voice reminding you of some sort of conflict, some sort of problem between two people. You remember how it ended? You, you're pretty sure it wasn't your fault? And almost immediately, the memory of what they did and how they hurt you, it comes to mind. And even though you might have felt bad because of what they did, it just it allows us to shut, shut down our understanding of what we're responsible for. And so, we step forward. We stay in line. We, we're planning to give our tithe to God and we stay in line because they've done so much wrong, it's on them. But then again, the words of Jesus kind of interrupt our train of thought, reminding us, man, this is a serious issue. And since there's no word in this verse about who was to blame or, or who caused the break in this relationship, Jesus said that if it comes to our mind, the move is ours. You might want to write that down. If it comes to mind, the move is mine. And that, 
if it's, you know, it's, it's up to you. It's up to me when I realize it to try to fix this break between me and another person. It's not up to them. It's up to me. God's brought it to mind. Standing in line to give your tithe or your gift to God was not just some random thought that Jesus was throwing out there. This actually provided a powerful backdrop to what he was trying to say. Let me try to explain. Tithing wasn't a weekly or a monthly. Tithing is giving a tenth of our income back to God in obedience to Him. And tithing wasn't a weekly or a monthly event like it is for us now. You know, if I'm paid once a week, then I give a tenth back to God as an offering to Him. For them, it wasn't. they didn't have paychecks. They didn't have bank accounts back then. They didn't have the system that we have. Most of these people that Jesus was talking to were farmers or shepherds, and most of them lived a, quite a distance from the temple. And so what they would do is once a year, after harvest, they would sell their crops, they would sell their livestock, and take 30, 10 to 30% of those crop and livestock and they'd bring it as an offering to God. And it would take, for many people, one to seven days of a journey to bring this offering. This was a significant event. And the lines were long. This was an exciting time. This was one of the most exciting times of the year. This was a spiritual high point experience for people. And this is the scene that Jesus chose to make this point. And if we were to live back then, this would be the most spiritual activity the highlight of our year. And so what Jesus is saying is, you know what's even more important than this spiritual high point? He's saying reconciling a broken relationship. That's way more important than this, this, you know, than this day at the temple that you've looked forward to all year long. It's so important, in fact, that you should not wait another minute to straighten out that relationship. He's saying go reconcile right now. If you ignore the break in a relationship, it's only going to continue to harden your heart. So he, he makes this a priority. Time was of the essence. Reconciliation must precede worship. Bringing things together must come before us trying to worship God. This has always been the case. Jesus wasn't introducing anything new here. This was not a, a brand new concept. In fact, 800 years before, we, we have verses to where God spoke through prophets one prophet in particular, Isaiah, God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah to God's people who were, who were bringing worthless things to sacrifice to God because there was damaged, there, there, there was sin in their lives, and there was broken relationships. Look at this. Isaiah 1.11 says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord, I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. See, they were bringing these as sacrifices. This was, but, Jesus, but God was saying to them, there's a problem. He's, I don't need all this stuff. What is this? He sees right through it. Verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. This has to do with other people now. Seeking justice for others. Encouraging the oppressed. Defending the cause of the fatherless. Pleading the case of the widow. God wants us to take initiative when we recognize there's a rift. Whatever it is, and wherever we are, it's our initiative. Reconciliation is a priority. So that's the first step. Is it's your initiative. Second step that he lays out in this verse is their face. First, it's our initiative. Second, is their face. Look at the verse again. He's very clear. 
Leave your gift there in front of the altar. So don't offer the gift. First go and be reconciled to your brother. We go to our brother or our sister. We go to their face. The biggest mistake in a conflict is to talk, is rather than talk to the person, is to talk about the person to someone else. Anytime we talk about the person, we do this primarily because we like to retain the editing rights of the story. You know, if I'm talking to, to this person over here about this guy, then I can really paint him into a pretty, you know, pretty mean guy or, you know, he was in the wrong. But So when I go to another person and talk about this person, I'm retaining the editing rights. This person doesn't know he wasn't there and so he believes me. But when we go face to face, that sets all agendas aside because when I go to the person that, that I have offended or that offended me, they were there. We were both there. We're not going to base anything on an agenda. We're going to talk about what actually happened. We're going to get the facts on the table. The, the danger is when we go to person number three that has nothing to do with it and start talking about person number two. Now person number three gets mad and wants to go talk to person number two. Or worse, they go talk to person number four, number five, and now all, the, all these people are mad at person number two for something that may or may not be true. And so going face-to-face allows for real reconciliation. And true worship, it's not enhanced by better buildings or better preaching, you know. but true worship is enhanced by better relationships between those people who come to worship. This is, the, this is the best thing that a church can experience is healthy, clear relationships. Our worship is so much sweeter when our relationships are right. Worship may actually be improved by us staying away from church until we straighten things out. Because God's not receiving that praise. And, and we end up going through the motions and playing a game. And maybe, maybe there's times where you're just feeling, you come to church and you're feeling extremely uncomfortable because there is a clear rift in a relationship and you're doing nothing about it. And you just need to address it. You need to bring it up. And maybe you just feel like, I can't focus, I can't sing, I can't, I can't be here. I'm not here. I'm here, but I'm not. That's what God is doing. Is he's likely... The cries for justice have reached him, and he's trying to get our attention in certain areas. He wants us to clear things up. We need to take the initiative. We need to go to their face. And then the third and the last step is this, is dealing with our sin. Your sin. Not theirs, but, but yours. We all have to own our own stuff. Clear up, clear up my offense. Don't blame it on them, but take and don't justify it. Just take responsibility for what I have done. Look at how this verse continues. So, He's talking about the temple and leaving your gift, not, not giving, not continuing to just go through the ritual of giving without clearing relationships up. He's saying, deal with the relationship, then come back and offer your gift. Restore worship. But now the assumption is that you've still not straightened it out, and Jesus says this, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. It's gotten so bad now, it can get so bad in relationships that people can actually involve others. This person's taking one to court. And now he's saying, take care of it on the way to the court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison 
I tell you the truth, you will not get out until every last penny has been paid. Our tendency is to focus our attention on what they have done wrong, and they tend to do the same thing about us. And so the conflict just kind of goes on and on with each side trying to get the other side to see their sin. The problem is that once they are, once they have have their case against you, that is now their mission to prove you wrong. That is their mission to take you down. And they will fight for that mission to its bitter end. And the mission will be so consuming that they may even take it to court until everything is paid back. So Jesus is saying, don't go that far. Settle account early. Deal with relationships when you recognize. Take initiative. Don't let it go that far. Oftentimes, we have such a hard time reconciling because of of pride. We just can't admit we've done wrong and confess our sin. But until we do, they will be on a mission after you and against you. And as long as they're on a mission, they will be blinded to any wrong that they did. And we're thinking, it's not fair though. They're the one that's... But if you will, humble yourself and confess your sin to them and ask them to forgive you, you take away their mission. And for the first time, they may begin to look at themselves and look at what they did in the situation. I've seen this happen over and over in my life. In my marriage, I can think of examples to where we'll be in an argument over something probably pretty stupid. And we'll be going back and forth in the art, and, I, and, I'll, and then I'll pull out and I'm thinking my case through. And I'm, I'm on my mission. I'm on my mission to make her pay. And I'm thinking, well, and, I, and I'll think about all that she said and I'll roll the tapes back in my head. And then the door will open and, Josh, I'm really sorry that I said those things to you. Well, now... I'm exposed. What am I supposed to do? She's just, I had my case. I was ready to nail her and now my mission's gone. She just, she apologized. And this happens in relationships. We can actually help if we'll just deal with our own sin and not go to court over that penny as this verse is talking about. And we think, well, I only did a penny's worth of wrong and they spent it, they did millions of dollars worth of wrong to me. Jesus is saying, if you, if you follow that through, they'll go to court over that little penny. They will fight that mission until they get what they want. So is it really worth it? He's, he's saying it's not worth it. Let it go. Get past it. Clear up your end. Otherwise, we just keep pumping smoke into the system to where nobody can really see what, what's, what's right, what's wrong, who did what. It got, starts getting extremely cloudy. Well, the, this seems really easy. And will these three steps... Repair every relationship? No. It takes it only takes one person to forgive. It, it takes two people to reconcile a relationship. And so sometimes you can go through all this. You can take initiative, go to their face, and deal with your sin. And they're still not able to clear it up with you. They're not willing to clear it up with you. But you can go to bed at peace. You can hit the pillow at night knowing, you know what, I'm, I'm clear with people. I'm not harboring any bitterness towards them. I've let some things go. I've, I've, I've cleared my wrong. Romans 12.18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, this, is, this has to do with what is within our power. We can't fix... Sometimes we can't get them to see what we want them to see. We have to leave that to God. And remember, the cries of justice go out to the Lord and He, 
He brings things up in people's minds. It's not our job to make sure that they pay or they get it. God, God's saying, if it's, do everything. Work hard within your power to clear up your wrong. Do not mention to them what they've done. Now, that's not always true. That's not always the case. Sometimes they actually want to know. But sometimes in our plight to, to say sorry, we, we still just justify what we've done. And so, when you're clearing up your wrong, just deal with, with the wrong. Take a look at a video on reconciliation. Look at this. Watch how there's a chain reaction, like a domino, when you start clearing up relationships. Hello? Hey, Aaron. Hey, I, um, I wanted to apologize for the way I acted at my dad's birthday party yesterday. I, I got upset and I spoke harshly to you. Will you forgive me? Sure, Brian. Thanks. I, I gotta go, but uh, thanks. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Hey, it's me. I know. I was just thinking about when I stormed out of the party yesterday. I didn't care that you weren't ready to go yet. I was just thinking of myself. Will you forgive me? Yeah, Erin. Sure. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Hello? Hey. Um, I was just thinking about yesterday at the party when I was leaving, and I told you it was stupid of you to invite me. I was really upset about something else, and I took it out on you. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I was wondering what was up. Yeah, sure, forgive you. Thanks. Bye. What? Hey, what's up? Uh, the usual. Hey, I, I just wanted to apologize. I shouldn't have said that stuff about your family that I did. I just, I should have kept my big mouth shut and I didn't. Will you forgive me? Boy, yeah, yeah, I, I forgive you. Thanks. See you later. Alright, talk to you later. Bye. Hey man, it's me. So, dude, I I think I really messed up yesterday at Dad's party. I I started bringing up some stuff that didn't even matter in the middle of it, and I I know it upset you. And well, will you forgive me? Sure. Hey, it happens to all of us. See how it came back around to it. Really, that's how relationships work. There's this connection. And it just sets things in motion because God wants justice. God wants to see that things get straightened out. I love seeing how that just comes back around and how, you know, things get pretty snarled up in our world. And as we begin to reconcile, God begins to pull the layers back and helping other people see clearly. This is the impact it can make on a, on a home, on a group of friends, in a workplace, at church. I, 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 Cody, you can go ahead and come up here and we're going to close out. I think that it, a good question to ask yourself is, have I done all I can do to reconcile with people around me? 
to those relationships that are broken, will I be courageous enough to seek peace? As far as it depends on me, have I done that? Or am I still like building my case against them and all all you know, we we've got to be willing to let that go. There's a chain reaction that can take place in our in our lives among our church here. There's some steps, some next steps. And I'd like you to consider taking one of these steps. The ushers will come up in a, in a few moments to receive our offering. But um, on this card, we'll drop this in the offering before it passes. But the first step is memorizing Romans 12:18. Just a verse to remind you, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We have a lot of relationships, and it's easy to just lose sight of where things are at. Especially when things get damaged, you tend to just we tend to just go to sleep and try to sleep it off. But we this verse to just keep close to you and just to keep asking: Am I at peace? Have I done what I can do? Second thing is maybe in the course of the message, God's brought someone to mind. You know, there's a uncle, a father, a mother, a brother, sister, son, daughter. A friend, a coworker, someone at church, teammate, boss. God may have brought someone to mind. Would you? You might not be at a point yet to where you can take a step, but once something you could do is start praying for them. Pray for God to help you to figure out how to proceed, softening your heart, praying for them, praying God would work in their lives as well. But don't just use that as again as your mission to seek justice for them. Ask God to soften your heart towards that person. And the third thing is, before next Sunday, take one reconciling step. This is a direct application to this passage. Before, so we all have seven days. If you sign this box, if you check the box, what this means is that we have seven days to straighten out, to take a step towards reconciling relationships. And maybe next week you don't need to come to church. And if we have a really low Sunday, I said that last service and everyone was kind of, what? But if we have a really low Sunday, maybe that means everyone's working things out during service. Or if it means that you just stubbornly refuse to clear something up, then understand that you can't escape the Lord on that stuff. He'll continue to put the heat, the spotlight, the pressure in your life and other areas until we reconcile. He doesn't want us just to continue to have ritual worship that doesn't mean anything to him if our relationships aren't right with others we'll remain miserable we'll remain disconnected from God if we just try to quiet those voices so take some steps this week and something I would encourage you to to be is let your presence here next week be a statement of peace for you let that be when you show up let that mean I'm here and I'm clear with others that's what it means. Now, if you're not here, it doesn't mean you're not clear with others. But when you show up, let it let it be a statement to other people that I, I've I've sought the Lord. I've I've asked Him to show me if there's any relationships that I need to get right, and I've taken some steps in the right direction. And you know, things might still be muddy for a while and snarled up, but you've taken a step in the right direction. God would want that. That's pleasing to Him, and that type of worship is acceptable. When we come and we sing and we lift our hands and we give. That is acceptable that he knows that we're taking him seriously in, in other areas, especially our relationships. So as far as it depends on you, live at peace with others. The last thing is attending the OCC preview on June 5th. If you just come around, like Taylor said, you want to know more about our church, 
what we're all about, what our vision is, our, our values, our core values, then we'd love it if you'd come to that on June the 5th. So let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time and thank you for your word. God, it, sometimes it catches us off guard and it hits us with things that we weren't quite prepared for. But Lord, we thank you for that because you, you don't want us to stay the same. You don't want us to keep living the same year over and over, or the same days over and over again. God, you want us to make progress in life. And Lord, you've given us the tools and the steps and you've given us yourself. You've brought power into our life that we could not have come up with on our own. Through the death of Jesus, through his resurrection, and through the life of the Holy Spirit who, who lives and dwells in those of us who believe in you and who put our trust in you. God, you've given us all that we need to make progress. So Lord, I pray that now, Lord, as you've brought some things to mind, Lord, I pray we would, we would take the step to heart, God, and that we'd have the courage to, to put some things into action this week. God, give us the uh, help us give us the courage to do that Lord we thank you for speaking to us this morning in Jesus name Amen